Hi, I'm Hallie, and I'm here to welcome you to The Odd Life, that's spelled A-W-E-D, which stands for Awake, Well, and Empowered. You see, I feel that women who are living odd have such important stories that need to be heard so they can inspire us to find our own oddness. I want this to be a space where you come to laugh, cry, feel inspired, and most of all, feel more connected to yourself and the women in this Odd Life community. I'll be talking with women who are practitioners, authors, experts, entrepreneurs, creatives, coaches, philanthropists, and so many more, as well as doing solo casts to bring you what you need when you need it. No matter where you are on your journey in this life, why not go through it odd AF? Again, I'm your host, Hallie, and this is the Odd Life Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today I am talking about another book. This is the book series we're doing about books that will change your life. This is part two. And today we're going to talk about the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. I purchased this book, I think 2015, maybe. I was in Colorado. I was out in Steamboat Springs for baseball with my kiddos and uh, came across the book in the bookstore that I absolutely love out there. It's called Off the Beaten Path. If you ever get a chance to go there, please, please visit it. Again, it's one of those things where I just started out on kind of this personal growth journey and exploring. And for some reason, the word soul was just grabbing at me. And I wanted to get into like deep soul work. Why? I don't know. It just spoke to me. When I cracked this book, I realized I wasn't ready for it. I could not grasp the concepts. I could not get past like chapter one. And so I put it away. And then I reached back for it again in 2018 and it clicked. I was able to understand and I had done some work prior to this. So this is not a book that if you're just starting out your personal growth journey and maybe a little bit of a heavy hitter, but man, has it been life-changing for me. And I'm going to get into the different areas and concepts and things that, that Singer talks about that stood out the most for me. I want to give you the, the blurb of what it's about, the quick description. It says, the untethered soul begins by walking you through your relationship with your thoughts and emotions, helping you uncover the source and fluctuations of your inner energy. It then delves into what you can do to free yourself from the habitual thoughts, emotions, and energy patterns that limit your consciousness. Finally, with perfect clarity, this book opens the door to a life lived in the freedom of your innermost being. So by reading that, the part that stuck out for me was what I wanted to do was free myself from the habitual thoughts, emotions, and energy patterns. I had a lot of them and they weren't good. And that was a big reason for me pulling this book off the shelf when I read that. Um, And I just knew that I needed to change a lot about how I approach life, how I thought about life. But first, to get into all that, you have to understand who you truly are, what you really are at, at a soul level. And so the very first part of this book, you actually examine kind of this, this thought of like consciousness, like who are you really? And you had to first understand the voice that's in our head and how he describes it. It's like a narrator. Let's say something happens. It could be a major event. You could be watching a catastrophe. You could be watching a sporting event, live music. You could watch a person 
trip and fall on the sidewalk, like whatever that is. And you're going to have a dialogue in your head about it. We all know this. We all do this. But it can also be just jibber jabber. We just talk about everything. The grocery list. Um, you lay down in bed and it's like you go through all the things that happened that day, what you wish you would have done different. There's a lot of things that just are constantly going on in our head. And what he explained was that this talking is like a narration that helps us feel comfortable in the world around us. And that really clicked for me. He says, this mental manipulation of the outer experience allows us to buffer reality as it comes in. So there's a myriad of things we can see at any given moment. And you only narrate a few of them. The ones we discuss in our head are the ones that our mind is paying attention to, the ones that matter to us. So what that means is that our consciousness is actually experiencing this kind of altered model of reality, not actual reality itself. So you're seeing things as you want to see them. And you're talking to yourself about the things that quote unquote matter to you. And it's not actually telling you exactly what's happening in the, in the world outside of you. And he says we do this because we recreate the world within our mind because it gives us a sense of control. And that I understood perfectly. It's a defense mechanism. It's a way for our, our mind to handle what's coming at us. It helps us feel more secure. And so that was a big aha for me. I was able to understand the things I'm telling myself may not be true. And he goes on to say something else about this voice and what it's doing. And he says this, in the name of attempting to hold the world together, you're really just trying to hold yourself together. We have to learn to be objective, that we are just observers in the situation that's happening. That I don't have to lose myself in the event that's around me or the actions of others or things in the world. That this process of observing rather than trying to justify or protect myself, this was the freedom I was looking for. And he says that true personal growth is about transcending the part of you that is not okay and needs protection. The one inside who's aware that I'm always talking to myself about myself is always silent. So I'm not the voice in my head. I am not my thoughts. If that voice is basically an ego or a protection mechanism. It's that wounded child that's trying to justify her actions or why she's doing something or what's happening or trying to make life feel better. And that voice says judgmental things and talks with fear. That is not who I really am. Who I really am at the soul level is the one that's observing all of that happening. And he goes on to like really talk about this voice in the next chapter. He says it's to, to look at it like a roommate. You could see it like as a third person. So when we view this voice as a third person, it can give us more peace and contentment because we stop thinking about ourselves. We're just observing this other person, quote unquote person, this other roommate and what they're saying. I could just sit, watch it happen and not let the dialogue start in my head. And I know that's easier said than done, but it took practice. And the more I really tried to picture if I started to go down a bad route with the things in my head, like it really helped personifying the voice, like taking it out of my head and literally sitting it down next to me on the couch as if it's a friend or a roommate or whatever. And trying to 
like see somebody else saying the words I was saying to myself, I'd be like, okay, you're a jerk or, you know, that's judgy or that's, you know, not a healthy thought, just personifying the thoughts in my head as a third person made such a difference. And that goes for a lot of like kind of that negative self-talk you do as well. Like you call yourself stupid in a situation or you look in the mirror and, you know, not like what you see, you start to go down this rabbit hole of horrible things you say to yourself. I mean, that goes for those things too. Going back to this, the thought about, about how to see yourself and who you really are. It's, it's, uh, really kind of mind blowing to kind of sit there and read that initially because you're like, wow, okay. I'm the one that's observing this. Okay. And that's like, it sounds so hokey and weird at first, but it works and really taking a step back and not partaking. in sometimes the bullshit in your life is so freeing. Um, it's like when you see somebody, you know, go off the rails about something that you don't agree with, you don't have to feel angry about it. You don't have to feel judge, you know, you don't have to feel or have, you don't have to partake in it. You don't have to do anything with it. Let that person go off and do their thing and you get to move on. That gives me a lot more peace in my life when I can not get sucked in, like take myself out of the equation. It's just an event that happened and move on. But that is so freaking hard to do, right? We take things so personally and we get so emotionally invested in a situation and I think what it is, is, is that it's not even really the things I'm saying or the thoughts I'm thinking tend to be from kind of the past. They tend to come from a, the version of me that was hurt a long time ago that hasn't let go of that hurt. And then I find myself in the loop of thinking the same thing over and over again because I haven't dealt with that thing in the past. So sometimes it's about that as well, which they go into down the road in this book, but man, when I started to see the difference between the thoughts as who I am versus the observer of the thoughts, that was super freeing. So I just wanted to highlight that part because that was the big chunk that I had a hard time with the very beginning of this book. And I think that's probably what most people have a hard time with. It's not understanding just what that means. And it can be a little far-fetched. It feels a little bit like, what? Like, uh, how does that make sense? But the more you keep reading the text, the more I, like, I had to go back and read, I think chapter one and two over and over again to really let that sink in. So if you read the book and you're not quite getting it, believe me, I was there same for me, but there is where kind of my growth started is I didn't have to react. I didn't have to partake. I didn't have to join in. I didn't have to justify. I didn't have to engage at all in any of that. It's like an observer just watching. And meditation has been really a great reinforcer of this. I had joined Headspace, I think prior to this. And one of the things they talk about in Headspace is to view, like, and you're, you know, he, he talks about how to handle thoughts. Like, you know, you're supposed to focus on your breath and then you have these intrusive thoughts that keep coming in. He says to view those thoughts. They're not bad. They're not good. They're just thoughts. And to view them like clouds in the sky. Watch it come and watch it go. Floating on by. And that kind of 
putting those two things together. So meditating and, and having that practice of letting thoughts come and go, that was super, super helpful in this process of detaching myself from something or someone else's behavior or what I was seeing in the world. It does not have anything to do with me. I do not partake or go down the path that I used to go down with my emotions and feelings and all that stuff, my reactions. Um, it, it just meditation really helped with all that. And he dives into this more about patterns and how we can break free of them. So we have a certain way that we are, like I said, I had a certain way that I always thought, how I felt, how I reacted. And a lot of times my typical thoughts and behaviors are based on scarcity or fear or anger or resentment. Everything from I don't deserve this to this will never work out for me. I used to dwell on thoughts like no one cares, I don't matter, I'm not lovable. And I would harbor a lot of resentment when someone didn't do something that I expected them to do or I wanted them to do. And he shares like an analogy to put this in perspective. He shares an analogy that living our lives sometimes resembles a movie, one that we get lost in with our senses. And I think of like, you know, those movie theaters that have the speakers and it's like the total immersion process. And we're, you know, just feeling the rumble in our seat as the, the you know, the plane's flying or whatever. And we get so hyper-focused on quote unquote, the movie that we believe we are the objects of this movie. And we're no longer just observing it happening. We get so sucked in. And I think that's what was happening to me. I saw myself as the object of the thing I was experiencing over and over again. And I see this as like this buildup. Like why we suffer in life is because we've immersed ourselves in so many of these types of experiences. These little mini movies, so to speak, that we absorb those life events as part of us. This is why I can recall exact things I said, how I felt, what I saw like so easily because I have replayed, I've attached myself to this event and I've replayed it like a freaking movie so many times. And then I truly believe that those past experiences were part of me, who I was. And I think I've been holding on to them almost like trophies, like proof of my faults. This is why I did this because I had to deal with this in my life. My you know, trying to explain my behavior or, or try to use it like a get out of jail free card because I was clearly broken because I was a sum of all these past experiences. And again, he says, this is where meditation can really help us bring, can really help bring us out of this losing ourselves in our experiences. We become awakened to who we really are when we meditate because we are like in the highest state of consciousness. We're supposed to focus very specific on breath and who like our consciousness. And when we do that over and over again, it's easier and easier to, to identify with being the one who's doing the observing, having this awareness, and it can help us break free from these constant, like kind of these thought patterns and behavior patterns that suck us into day-to-day -day life that kind of blur the lines between who we really are and this event that's taking place. Um, and he says this one line in the book that really kind of got to me. He says, you realize you're not who you thought you were. You're not even a human being. You just happen to be watching one. And that's a little trippy, but the more I meditated, the more I, I actually understood this. So then he goes on in the book to explain inner energy. 
I really, really enjoyed this part because I, I really needed this. So I felt like I was consistently absorbing the energy of the people around me. So if my husband was upset with something at work, I was in a bad mood. If he was happy, I was happy. I let people's emotions and energy dictate how I was feeling. And I hated that. And so he kind of gave us a really great example of how to break free of that. And he says something. He says, the truth is every movement of your body, every emotion you have, and every thought that passes through your mind is an expenditure of energy. Just as everything that happens outside in the physical world requires energy, everything that happens inside requires an expenditure of energy. So all these thoughts, all these feelings, this requires energy. So no wonder we're all freaking tired, right? We're wasting so much energy on these thoughts and emotions that really have nothing to do with us over all the thing about all these years. And so we deal with the shit in our lives. We spend a lot of time and energy on these, you know, creating these thoughts, controlling these thoughts, pushing them away, having emotions, trying to control emotions, trying to force emotions away. It's exhausting freaking work. But this is where it became really clear. He talks about remembering when you first fell in love or when you were excited about something or inspired by something all of a sudden we have this endless amount of energy. And that's what he's talking about. We have an inner source of energy that we can tap into that is available at all times. And the reason why he said we don't feel it all the time is because maybe we're, we're blocked. We've blocked it by closing our heart, our minds, and pulling ourselves into a restrictive place inside. So it's like hiding in the dark. And when we hide, there's no light, no energy, and nothing can flow. It becomes blocked. And he says that being open means having access to all this energy and being closed means having none. And this is where I got a little pissed off at Singer. I was like, okay, stay open. Great. Um, how do you not be closed? And he says, you can stay open. Wait for it. By never closing. I was like, are you shitting me? That's your advice. That can't be it. Nope. That's the whole thing. That's, that's this whole thing. Just don't close. Oh, that's easy. Right. That's easier said than done. But then I read that closing is a habit and that it could be broken. I was like, oh, I get that. Okay. I can, I can figure this out. So he says, we're programmed to be open or closed based on past experiences. These events that are in our past have been imprinted on us and they're what can trigger us today, depending on the event. Let's say you smell something that reminds you of baking with your grandma in the kitchen at Christmas. Heart goes open. Love it, happy memories, all the good stuff. But then you maybe smell something that triggers memories of being memories of being forced to sit at the kitchen table until you finished your meal. I have a couple of those. I've got liver and onions. But those experiences, those past experiences can trigger us to close. And I have had to learn to stay open because I don't want to feel the way I feel when I close myself off. When I close myself off, I feel lonely. I feel sad. I feel rejected. I feel miserable. I'm, I feel unloved. I'm unable to love other people when I'm closed. So I have to choose to stay in a state of love because I don't want to feel the other things. I want to stop reacting to things in a negative way. No matter what, I want to stay open. Am I good at it? No. Am I getting better? I hope so. 
So when I feel myself wanting to close up, old ways of handling life, I reach for a few things that really help me out a ton. Number one, music. Uplifting music helps me every time. I either put the speaker on in the living room and crank some music, or I put my headphones in and dance around my kitchen, whatever. I turn it up loud, I dance, and all of a sudden, life is good, hearts open, whatever was bothering me or whatever was pulling me that direction to be closed is gone almost every single time. Two, meditation. Again, that's kind of the theme of this book is to meditate. Um, I usually try and find a guided meditation to help me get unblocked. So it may be, it'll say in the title, I'll look for like either a chakra clearing or I'll look for some type of visualization type of meditation that will guide me through a process of imagining a light flowing through me that tends to work. And then three, I visualize my higher self in that moment. Okay. I picture who I want to be as my highest self. How would she show up in this moment? How would she act? How would she, you know, what would she say? What would her body language be like? And sometimes this requires maybe a little journaling to bring that out even more, but if I can show up in a situation as my highest self, chances are it's a hell of a lot better reaction than what I was going to go do. Or two, if I keep doing that over and over again, I'm going to become that person eventually, hopefully sooner than later. And like I mentioned in the other podcast with Brene Brown, a Darren Greatly book, I mentioned there's a, a lesson there called Mining the Gap. That was really important for me. This is kind of that thing. This is me mining the gap. The next chapter, chapter six, he asked the fundamental question, what is it about the structure of the heart center that permits it to close? What you will find is that the heart closes because it becomes blocked by stored, unfinished energy patterns from your past. You only need to examine your everyday experiences to understand this. As events take place in the world, they come in through your senses and have an impact on your inner state of being. The experience of those events may bring up fear, anxiety, whatnot, and different experiences happen inside because of how you take it in and digest the world as it passes through you. When you take in the world through your senses, it's actually energy that's coming into your being. Form itself does not come into your mind or heart. Form stays outside, but it's processed by your senses into energy patterns that your mind and heart can receive and experience. Okay, so that's where the quote ends. So the sensory process goes like this. It's like your eyes are actually not really windows. It's like a camera. And it sends these electronic images of the world back to you. And it's kind of like how all of your senses work. They sense the world. They convert it into information, transmit the data through electrical nerve impulses, and then the impressions are rendered into our minds. So our senses are like these little electronic sensing devices. But if the energy patterns that are coming into our psyche create disturbance, we're going to resist them and not allow them to pass through. When we do this, the energy patterns get blocked within us. And so we have all these stored, stored energy that's within us, that's keeping us blocked and closing us off. And what helps is we have to process all that and get rid of it. So I can give you an example of something that's been holding, I've been holding on to for a very, very, very long time. Uh, I was a teenager. We were in junior high. My sister, 
she was just a year older than I was in school. I was getting ready to go in the seventh grade. She was in eighth grade and was the first day of school. Had done the shopping, have a brand new outfit ready to go for school. Our junior high was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And then high school is 10th, 11th, and 12th. And eighth and ninth graders were going to go on Monday, first day of school. And seventh graders are going on Tuesday by themselves to get acclimated, figure out lockers, get to know where the classrooms are. It was a much bigger school all of a sudden than the elementary. So we had to figure things out. And then we'd all be back in the building together, all, all, all grades. So the way our house was set up, <laughs> my room was at the end of the hall on one side. My sister was next to me. And then across the hall from me was my mom and dad's room. And in between at the very end of the hall was our little bathroom. And next to the bathroom was a full length mirror. So the way my bedroom was set up at the time, the head of my bed was near the door. And for some reason, my door was open and I woke up because I was sleeping in first day of school was Monday. I was sleeping in because I wasn't going to go to school till Tuesday. And I see my sister at the, at the mirror looking checking herself out and she is wearing my brand new outfit. I know. Um, I had to like blink a few times like, no, clearly I'm not seeing this because you know how important the first day of school outfit is, right? Back then it was everything. And she's wearing it. And I start to go, what in the world are you doing? She's like, what? I'm like, you're wearing my brand new outfit. I haven't even worn it yet. And she justifies it by saying that, you know, uh, no one's going to see it from my grade because it's all her grade and above. And then I'll wear it Tuesday. None of, no one's going to know that she already wore it. And then Wednesday, we're all good. I, I was like, okay, gaslit, number one. Number two, I was like, I, I'm so mad. I came and like see straight. But that affected me so deeply that honest to God, it, it kind of created this crack in our relationship. I didn't, couldn't trust her. And I, and I let that be something I held on to. I mean, for, I mean, obviously for years, what you're 12, 13 going into the seventh grade and I am 50. So you guys, I mean, I've held on to this for 40 freaking years. Uh, it's that kind of stuff that blocks me. And there's a lot more than just that. There's a lot of things in my life that I've held on to. So we see this in marriages, we see this in friendships, we see this in workplace environments, whatever. So what happens is that everything then appears negative to us because our sense of the world has to pass through this stuck energy. And all of these stored experiences we've had impact how we live right now. It's like we see the same thing over and over again, because that's all we understand. It's the energy that's in our body. Um, he makes an example. It's pretty funny. Um, let's say that you see the same model car. You're on your way to work present day. You're driving and you see that red Mustang that your ex-boyfriend used to drive in high school. Yes. That ex-boyfriend that cheated on you. And then all of a sudden your heart starts to beat faster. You get agitated and then you end up having a shitty day. You get to work and you're pissed off everybody. All because you saw the car that your ex-boyfriend from 1988 used to drive, your cheating ex-boyfriend. I mean, like, what the fuck are we doing, people, right? And this is where I had to learn. I had to let all of this shit go. I wanted to live my life in love. That was my goal. And not be angry and not be bitter and not be rageful and not be disappointed about stuff all the time. 
I wanted to feel more love in my life. And to do that, I needed to let go of all those life experiences that were basically acting as a filter. And this whole concept actually is about teaching us to live in the moment. So we're meant to take things in. We're allowed to experience them. And then we let them pass through us. And then that way we can be fully present for the next moment. And so when we hang on to all these past experiences, we're not able to fully be present in our life. And so much of my life was trying to protect myself. I mean, I used all these stored experiences as justification for my fears, my insecurities, the way I behaved. And this book taught me that all of that protecting was keeping me stuck. Like my life had turned into, turned into one big threat because I had all these negative experiences creating this negative current throughout my body and my mind. And I kind of pictured when I, I read that, I pictured myself like the game operation, like that everything that was happening to me felt a lot more painful than it actually was because I was hanging on to so much. It's why like when you hit all the red lights on the way to work, like it drives you crazy, like you're pissed off. It's because everything that feels like you're already heightened, like all of it's right there at the edge. You know, the waiter that ignores you for 15 minutes when you first get to the restaurant makes you stomp out the door. It's all these negative, like held experiences. They're like a tuning fork and it sets the frequency for your everything in your life. And then Singer kind of explained it. He explained it like a thorn stuck in your arm. So when the thorns touched, it's painful. We can't get close to people because they might bump into our thorn. We can't sleep because it hurts. We roll over, you know, so on and so forth. It's like this constant state of disturbance. So we can do two things, he says. We can avoid touching the thorn at all times. We do whatever we must to protect ourselves. Or two, we just take out the damn thorn. And a lot of times, how many of us can say we've probably spent our whole lives protecting ourselves from the pain of that thorn that's in our arm or whatever that thorn is for us. We may move to another house, heck, another city. We may take another job. We may ghost friends. We may avoid relationships because we don't want to deal with that thing. So it ends up all these thorns we carry around end up running our lives. And so he says to look at pain like energy. If we hang on to what gives us pain, that energy just bounces around inside of us, doing damage to everything it touches. So I pictured myself almost like a pinball machine, like all those negative experiences were just the pinballs shooting around, damaging my insides. And not only are they doing emotional and spiritual damage, they're doing physical damage as well. I have learned that unprocessed emotional pain is what can cause anxiety and stress. And then those things in turn cause heart disease, chronic inflammation, fatigue, asthma, insomnia. This blocked energy can result in back pain, migraines, and all kinds of other issues. And I didn't know this until recently. That suppressed anger, for example, can be a precursor to the development of cancer. I swear, look it up. It's on pubmed.gov. And I thought, holy crap, I have a lot of things to let go of. The environment's already stacked against us. I don't need to add to it. And there was another concept that really hit home for me is that a lot of times we carry around our own set of preconceived notions of how things should be, that we resist things that have already happened. And this resistance we have is what causes a lot of unnecessary pain in our lives. And so it's taught me to deal with each, each situation 
with true acceptance. Like events aren't problems. They're just events. My resistance to them is what causes the problem. So like when loved ones don't show up for us the way we, we think they should, we feel stress or anger, which it ends up kind of coloring the, the, the event that happened. We hold grudges, remind them every time, you know, of the situation. Oh, that's how you hurt me, whatever. We blame them for our behaviors. You know, they're dealing with their own thorns, which probably have nothing to do with us. But somehow we've interpreted their pain as somehow something to do with us. And I've been really working hard on practicing that letting go process of accepting of what is rather than hold on to the pain of what it wasn't. Make sense? And by doing that, I've experienced a lot more freedom, a lot more peace in my life. I mean, it's not easy, but it's definitely worth the work. I've had a taste of it and it's something I'm still working on. And man, talk about just a sense of freedom. And then the last few things that really helped change kind of how I saw myself and how I saw life was this concept of the the path of unconditional happiness. And Singer says, being happy is a choice. Either you choose to be happy or you choose not to be. In all things that can happen, a disease diagnosis, a car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, we lose our investments, whatever, those things don't get to be factors in our happiness. It has to be unconditional. And it's this commitment to being happy, no matter what happens in life, is where true spiritual growth happens. It's choosing a higher path every time. I get to choose how I experience life, all of it. And if I look at life and all the things that happen in my life as just events and not attach myself to them, I can be happy regardless of what happens. And that was really hard to swallow at first. But when I realized when I stopped attaching myself to things that happened, if I looked at the bigger picture of it all, like, hey, I'm here, I'm alive, I have these other wonderful things in my life, I had to just learn how to observe and let things float on by. And like menopause, that was a really hard test for me. And I failed often. I attached myself to how I was feeling physically all the time. And I was really unhappy in the beginning. And granted, we were in the middle of a pandemic when all this was going down. But I was this, what was me? This sucks. You know, I just, and of course, there is emotional turmoil attached to menopause because our hormones are out of whack and we're on this roller coaster. But. I had to learn how to realize this is going to last forever. This is just a blip in time in my life and to not attach myself to like, this is not who I am from here on out. And then there's another kind of final lesson he talks about, and it's a little more, I'll say morbid, but a little more intense, but he talks about letting death be our greatest teacher and using the contemplation of death as a way to prioritize how we live. And so he said something pretty profound. Uh, He says, learn to live as though you are facing death at all times and you'll become bolder and more open. If you live life fully, you won't have any last wishes. You will have lived them every moment. And then he says, life itself is your career and your interaction with life is your most meaningful relationship. What actually gives life meaning is the willingness to live it. So what if you brought that kind of awareness to every conversation? You really don't need more time before death. What you need is more depth of experience during the time you are given. And then he brings it all home saying, 
Nature just gives and gives to whoever will receive. Should you choose not to receive it, it doesn't punish you. You punish yourself because you choose not to receive. It says we have a direct link to the divine, a higher power, God, whatever you want to call it. The light is always shining, whether or not we choose to see it. But when we let go of pain, we allow and accept life's events and live life as if it were our last moments on earth. It's only then that I find absolute peace, freedom, and contentment. So that has been a big barometer in my life to see life open, like clouds flooding by, not attaching myself and be grateful for every moment I've got. And uh, man, it's, that has played a huge part in my growth journey for sure. I feel like I'm finding myself, my true self more and more all the time because I keep going back to these lessons from this book. And it's like... Like he says, it's, I've gotten this freedom from this tether that's been on my soul for so many years. This book really accelerated my spiritual awakening journey and, you know, kind of tapped into who I was at a soul level. I feel like I see myself better. I see life better. And I feel like I experience it different than I used to. And I still have a long way to go, but I've released so much pain. I do work every day just to observe and tap into that infinite source of energy that's available to me. And I do this because I want to show my kids how to feel peace and freedom at a much younger age than I did. I cannot recommend this book enough. I hope you give it a chance. Even if it takes you a few tries, like it took me, the concepts may be hard at first, but I promise they're worth it. All right. That's it for another one of our books that will change your life series. This is the untethered soul by Michael A. Singer. I'll have links in the show notes where you can get a copy or read more about it. And, uh, I would love to hear if you end up reading it, what you think. All right, you guys have a great week. We'll talk soon. Thank you again for being here. I am so grateful for your time. And if you liked what you heard, please head to where you listen to podcasts, rate and review so we can be found by other people. Please share on Instagram, your social media channels, wherever else you go so we can reach as many people as possible so they can meet these amazing women and hear these conversations. If you'd like to connect further, you can find me over at my website at halliesawyer.com or on Instagram. I'm usually going to be at uh, Hallie underscore Sawyer or The Odd Life, which is this podcast specific Instagram account. All right. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.